I'd like us to start. Uh, we're very, we need to be very good with time. Um, thank you for, for joining us this afternoon. It's still a cold day. I'm hoping everybody's kind of keeping warm with the cold snap upon us. Um, so if we can just start, people will obviously come in through the back and yeah. Um, I think there's been a notification for people to switch their cell phones off. Uh, or to put them on silent, your alarms, your water reminders, and everything. So if you can kindly do that for us. Um, yeah, I think everyone has seen uh, what um, the, the title of this talk on the, on the program. Um, and I just sort of wanted to start with a little intro uh, to kind of like walk us through this conversation. Um, uh, we're, not, we're not PowerPoint people, so there won't be any heavy PowerPoints, text heavy. We're just going to talk through, because I think everything uh, we're going to talk about and the story of money kind of affects all of us and everybody can kind of relate uh, to what we'll be speaking about today. So, um, as a mom's friend of mine would say, silence is golden, golden is money, money is the root of all evil, therefore silence is the root of all evil. Um, and they were loosely using um, the lack of money is the root of all evil by George Bernard Shaw. Um, money is, is acquired, um, unless it's coins, yet so loud. Um, when you think about money, there's either joy, sadness, opportunity, and multiple reactions it uh, conjures up. If I say to you today, right now, uh, petrol price increase, Tom Moyani, the food basket, e-filing, I say Sasa, I say e-wallet, I say VBS, I say Steinhoff, I say KPMG, and I say the Rand dollar exchange rate, or even the small business ministry, I have everyone's attention. Because all of these, in some way, affect all of us, especially in South Africa, but also in other parts of the world. Um, radio has been around to tell that story um, of money for eons, um, amongst the important stories that it hopes to tell. And currently, the story of money um, has been important in uncovering issues around corruption, maladministration, um, and other issues that affect us on a greater scale. Um, and these have been part of telling the story about money. Uh, we're joined uh, by two people that I'm a huge fan of, uh, amongst many people who are daring in jumping in and forming part of the people who help us understand uh, money and its story and um, its place in our world. Um, please allow me to welcome financial broadcaster, um, and I see her as a mentor for all of us, and um, Google and I would attest to this, Sikim Kabadeli, um, who everyone knows from ENCA's Moneyline um, on, on, on TV, and also I'd like to introduce uh, um, Google Mfopi, a financial journalist and um, radio presenter hosting um, Kaya Fem's uh, Kaya Biz, um, who are going to share their experiences uh, in this conversation that we're going to have um, around money. Cool. Um, this conversation is going to be about, um, about a good 20 minutes, and then we'll have a, a last 10-minute uh, Q&A session, so we kind of need to keep it tight. The components we're going to talk about are money and reportage and audiences, um, and money and the conversation and the man on the street, among some of the other things. So maybe let's just start, um, Google Siki, let's talk about uh, why it is important um, for you to form part of the people that tell the story around money. 
You want me to start? Sure. All right. Can I start with an apology for my voice? I've got a terrible flu, but I'm happy to be here um, and part of this very important conversation because I don't think we talk about this um, as much as we should. I started um, in financial journalism without giving away my age um, back in 2001. And back then, there were very few people who looked like me, black women. Um, which in a country that is 90% black was kind of problematic because who are you speaking to about this very important subject of money, the economy, finance and business? Um, we are the, the consumers. Uh, we are the employees. Some of us are employers um, and many of us want to participate in the economy. But if you remember, if you were alive like I was back then, um, the economy, the finance, the markets, the indicators was the 30 seconds on a TV bulletin where they told you about the rand against the dollar, the pound, the euro, and then they'd say on radio, um, the gold price is and the, you know, uh, and Brent crude is trading at, and that was the sum total of what we were allowed to talk about or even just to understand. So people almost, uh, one friend said to me back then that when she sees the indicators on the bulletin or she's listening on radio and they say that, that's her time to get up and go make a cup of coffee, not the time to listen. That was the biggest issue that I've always had with the way that we've dealt with financial and business reporting. I think we've made huge strides, uh, strides. Um, over the past 17 years. Uh, back then, you didn't have the, the big uh, radio shows. Um, an hour dedicated to business and the economy didn't happen. It was 30 seconds. Today, you have every single major radio station with its own dedicated uh, business show. Um, we can deal with the content of those shows, but the fact that the platforms exist is important. I think I, I'm happy to echo some of the themes that uh, Siki has alluded to. And I was actually one of those people who used to watch her on TV uh, back then in 2001 and all those other years. So you're not that old. It's okay. <laughs> um, regarding business as a topic and as a theme. And for me, what always used to intrigue me, given how I first got to understand money, was that my father was the provider. He paid the bond. He paid all the policies, paid my school fees. But my mother was always the active individual who, as a municipal worker, earned a salary, but it was never enough. And what I also learned from her was that essentially there was this lack of control when it came to money. So yes, during the 2001 financial crisis, you know, we heard about um, the rand tumbling, the markets um, losing a significant amount of money, but that didn't correlate with what my mother is experiencing or sharing with me. Instead, she's selling additional perfumes and other items in order to make more money. So understanding the lack of control that we have over our money, especially being someone from a black community, was what piqued my interest in really wanting to cover and be part of um, the business financial community uh, and sharing some of those messages. Okay, um, just talking about that, let's talk a little bit about um, who the listeners are, or rather even um, how um, have newsrooms dealt with uh, sort of creating that change, like you're saying, with the, the introduction of many business shows that are spread across the board. So how have newsrooms uh, sort of um, created that space? What have they done to kind of evolve? I think one of the, the most important things has been to bring um, a diversity of people into the newsroom to begin with. 
So um, I mentioned that when I started, I was one of a few people who looked like me. I would walk into uh, boardrooms to go and cover financial results as a reporter, and people would ask me where the tea and coffee was because they thought I was the help. That's, that's just the reality of the situation. They'd never seen a black woman talking about the FTSE, the CAC, and the DAX. So that in itself was important, that you had people who look like the people you're supposed to be reporting to talking about these very important subjects. I think many newsrooms have done that. Um, my team at Moneyline um, is a reflection of South African society. I'm, I'm very deliberate about that. Um, I was deliberate about that when we worked together at Power FM with the people that were, would report on the economy, on business, on finance. How do you ask an old lady in Gumbu um, to tell you about how, you know, how she's affected by the increase in the bread price if you don't speak her language? Um, it's that important. Um, I've always approached financial journalism as um, not as an exclusive little club for people who understand high finance, but that business, the economy, and finance affects every single aspect of our lives. The choice to buy Colgate or Aquafresh is an economic decision. The choice to buy umka on this day versus buying a loaf of bread is an economic decision. And the moment we start to approach it that way, rather than worrying about, uh, rather than worrying about how highfalutin um, the exchange rate is, the exchange rate affects you because it affects that decision you make about buying maize meal versus exactly. bread. But we need to tell that story that way. And I think that speaks to something that you alluded to earlier on, that initially storytelling when it comes to finance never really took place. It was a matter of you need to understand the technical language. We'll give you all the facts and figures as they are. But what we've really seen change slightly in many newsrooms is following the money, but also sharing that interpersonal story with individuals because fundamentally, the macroeconomics don't matter to each and every one of us, but it's understanding the impact that it has on your pocket and knowing that in every money story, um, there is an indirect or direct impact on your pocket. And I think what's also happened over time is that people have started to understand the, the impact of things. So the more we talk about corruption, for example, the more people start to understand that if massive corruption happens over there, it's not a political issue. It'll affect your grandmother getting their pension at the end of the month. Um, and the ability to tell that story is what we need to increasingly focus on in journalism schools. I think you guys have alluded to some um, the issue around who are the listeners that we're catering to. Uh, but let's also talk about format, because when you obviously um, are talking about uh, those different parts of the community or part of the society that need to be catered to, um, certain things make sense to them. Like you can't sort of like dump them with long form, complicated um, uh, things. I mean, for example, like it's a very famous example that people like to make, like YFM did the price of the burger, which a lot of people, some people found useless, some people found useful. So let's talk a little bit about formats and what you guys think helps telling the story of money a lot better. I think first thing first, don't speak down to your audience. Um, respecting your audience, regardless of uh, color, creed, or their background, uh, level of financial understanding is always quite critical. Because either way, individuals continue to interact with money. It might be at different levels, from a CEO to the cleaner. 
but you need to respect the audience. So don't talk down to them at all. And what often assists that is just breaking it down to conversational language. At times, and even when I started in the industry, we often, you know, you think business and you think finance and you want to be there and impressing with your bravado about, you know, these are the technical indicators and, 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 and you showing off about the knowledge that you have, but you're not sharing the story. Um, so again, keeping it conversational and really relating it to things that influence the day-to-day -day lives, like the fuel price. Even if you mention Steinoff, already the South African audience resonates with the fact that somehow that actually has impacted on their pension funds or unit trusts and other investment opportunities that they might um, be, be invested in. Um, and it's, it's about bringing it in, in conversation. Um, so I guess... And I think that's also something that we've seen as well on very many media platforms is that we try to move away from the technicalities and the numbers and also just remember that, you know, fundamentally it's a conversation about money. And, and I fully agree with you, but I'd just like to add on the technical, it's important to understand the technical because you can't explain what you don't understand. So the, a, a big part of the problem, so I, I was saying over lunch that um, if Supersport offered me a job tomorrow to pay me one million rand an hour, I would turn it down. Because I know absolutely bogger all about sport. <laughs> right? I would be the worst sports presenter ever put on earth. So know what your limitations are and learn the things that you know you don't know. So it is important that we know what, are the, what the, comp the composition of the top 40 companies on the JSC are, because if we can't explain that to you, then we're not going to be able to explain why Steinhoff falling matters, why all of those things have a ripple effect. We won't be able to explain to you if I can't read an income statement, balance sheet and cash flow, I can't tell you who stole money where. So the technical stuff matters, but it's the interpretation of it and it's what you were talking about. So being able to take that and make it a conversation, explain that if a company, company A makes revenue X from Y, there's no possible way that they could have made loss Z, right? But I can't tell you that if I don't know how to read that, that detail. So um, I'm, I'm very much for multidisciplinary education. Um, for journalists. I went to Rhodes University, I'm allowed to say that, <laughs> and one of the subjects that I took, just out of interest, was economics. And I didn't take it because I cared, I kind of went, I need to do five first-year subjects. And I'd chosen the first four, and then I just dropped in economics. And I just happened to fall in love with it. And I'm glad I did that, because it's helped me be able to do my job today. So that ability to understand the technical and then apply it as storytellers in the way that you are talking about is important. Just to chip in there, I think it's also interesting you mentioned that element because my background in training is completely different. I studied accounting. So I would put together those balance sheets and income statements. And then my very first story um, at MoneyWeb covering Vodacom results, I came back literally just deciphering revenue was up by this uh, property plant and equipment that and the lesson then for me was to actually learn how to tell the story because I didn't have the journalism background. So you're quite right again that that mixture and balance of actually having a variety of skills is actually quite critical um, in sharing a business or financial story.
Um, let's talk, I think Gugu started talking about this, and Siki, you also did, uh, the gender dynamics of money. So we were talking about the spending, like we know the dad will take care of the bond and the big things and the mom would build either stop nonsense or make sure there's groceries and all that kind of stuff. Let's talk about the gender dynamics of money um, and the issues around access um, and how that impacts on how you tell that story. I think it's no secret that in today's day and age, women are more than ever at the forefront of financial decisions. Not to necessarily say that they weren't, because when I listen to my grandmother's stories, my grandfather used to come back as a truck driver, pass on that envelope to her, and she would sort out how that money is actually distributed. But uh, it's now become so much more prominent because we are at the forefront of actually taking those financial decisions, but also driving and bringing in um, that revenue into the home. And that has been an interesting dynamic as well, because so often we tend to view females as just being consumers. So it's for the hair, it's for the makeup, it's for my kitchen to look good, it's to have the wonderful furniture in the household. And whilst we like all of those things, but what we're also seeing with the female audience is that there's this conscious understanding of making sure that I need to build wealth or create some kind of level of support and comfortability financially for my children and my children's children. And that has been interesting to monitor when it comes to the level of risk that people are willing to take when it comes to investments. And that's a whole other topic because that's why we had Gippies and Triple M and (coughs) Long Rich, if I can even say it here. Um, Yeah, but um, I I guess that's part of the dynamic that I'm seeing is that women are are clearly becoming a little bit more prominent. Of course, men are still playing a significant role, um, but there's just this conscious effort of creating that buffer. And, and it's interesting, I mean, I, I've seen the change over the years um, with callers. So callers on radio, when I started on the SAFM market update, um, 2003-ish, the bulk of the people who called in, 99.9% were men. White men, largely, but men nonetheless. That the people who are starting to call in now, people asking the questions, people asking for investment advice, are largely women, um, 17, 15, 16 years later. There's been a change in the dynamic of who makes up the bulk of the South African economy, who makes financial decisions. And it's, I don't think it's just an economic question, I think it's a, it's a social question about the makeup um, of South Africa. When I speak to my audience, I think of myself. I'm in a single income household, right? And I'm a woman. So I'm not just spending money on my hair and my makeup. I have to think about the bond, the electricity, the maintenance. I have to change my own light bulbs. It's a horrible thing. <laughs> I'm trying to get my brother to do it, but he won't. But it's So you have to picture who is the modern-day South African woman right now. I'm not saying I'm the majority. I'm certainly not. I'm a minority amongst a majority. But like you said with your grandmother, same thing with mine, same thing with my parents. They both worked, right? Um, Even though there were specific gender roles in the household. But my mother had to make economic decisions just as much as my dad did as well. But the person you are speaking to today is different from my grandmother back in the 50s. Okay, let's just swiftly moving along. I think we're pressed for time. Let's talk about the geopolitics um, and the international um, understanding of money. 
Um, what are some of the issues? I mean, we can talk about um, Cyril's New Dawn, Trump and Korea, what happened there, um, and, and different international stories. Um, and um, let's just talk about those, and then maybe we can briefly also talk about how Africa looks um, at, at, at money and the story around money and the stories there. I actually want to gauge from the audience because sometimes we get so excited talking about these big terms about geopolitics and the macroeconomic environment. But do you as people in the audience actually understand why Trump, his tweets, and communication with North Korea actually matters to us as South Africans by show of hands? Okay, so a fair amount of understanding, and maybe that's also because we're speaking to an audience that works as media practitioners, but I think sometimes those are such huge stories that to actually filter it down to the audience does become a bit of a challenge, and I've, I've experienced that myself, in as much as you can discuss the trade wars and really explain uh, what it is, it's, it has to come more from an educational point of view, where you're getting people to understand the context that, yes, money does control your environment, but it also controls so many other external factors which do become, you know, decision makers and whether it's policy or international relations, but at some point will um, impact on your life. So I've often found that um, managing that can become a bit of a challenge purely because it sounds like such a huge story. And usually when we try to share it as well with key industry stakeholders, we relay the message in the very same way that we get it. Um, and actually say, you know, um, Trump and Xi Jinping. Yeah. I don't know how you, how you manage it, Siki, but I mean, sometimes I, it's a bit of a challenge. It, it is difficult, but I think, I think that the narrative has changed. So many of you will remember the time headline of, you know, the hopeless continent back in 2001 that then changed to the, you know, Africa rising in 2011, 10 years later. I find that the conversation about the continent um, and how we refer to ourselves has changed um, so much. I think a big part of that, again, it's the stories will reflect. So if we're spending less time talking about Africa and a begging bowl and aid, and more about entrepreneurial zeal, um, talking about um, people um, actually turning uh, opportunities into you know, economic um, benefits and, and so on. So the, the lens that we've put on the continent when it comes to the economy, when it comes to business, is different. Uh, 15, 20 years ago, you would have never had an Aliko Dangote and Tony Elumelu being on the front page of Forbes Africa. But today that's normal. We know who he is, I don't need to explain what that means. I don't need to tell you about how, you know, almost a quarter of the fastest growing economies on, in the world are on the African continent because we've changed the narrative. And if we continue to do that as journalists, as people who are on the ground telling our own stories and not letting somebody else define what that narrative is, it changes the conversation. On Trump and, and, and the trade war, we, obviously, we're going to talk about Donald Trump. Obviously, we're going to talk about Xi Jinping. Those are the two biggest economies in the world. We trade with them. Um, if they sneeze, we catch the flu, like I am today. But we need to explain why we catch the flu and why they continue to be so um, influential, and that's in our storytelling. Thanks. Um, and and let's, let's, let's move on to, let's talk about the national understanding of money. Um, so, so beyond individuals, beyond um, grassroots level, the national understanding of money, I mean, we can, right now, everybody's like rushing, not everyone all at once to sort of file their taxes. 
<laughs> some people not so much, and some people some people are doing that. But also issues around the the correlation between the sentiments of the country's ability to raise um, the revenue it needs to function. Um, and the obligation and the accountability of the people who are supposed to sort of hold that public purse that, keep, that we keep talking about. How do those things kind of like, they are related, how, how do we make, create an understanding why it's important to kind of file your taxes, how does it impact on the public purse when, people, when, when people's sentiments is also low in the confidence of government um, running that public purse? Can I just say this? I think a, a lot of this has to do with mainstreaming. Right? So, and I think that's what's happened over the past few years is the mainstreaming of what was in the past the, the, um, the exclusive um, domain of a few who understood, you know, uh, budgets and what that means. You know, when I, when I started the budget speech was not even broadcast live. Right? It was a thing you got a little one minute, 10 second thing on television and maybe a 40 second bulletin. You go to parliament today on budget day in February and it is a sea of media and it's a sea of live um, crossings. Again, maybe we're not there in the actual distilling and, and telling the information in the way that people will understand it, but goodness, we're there. It's a start. Let's start by mainstreaming these things and making them not the preserve of just those who have money and who have access. But um, it, it's, I love seeing Ukozi FM there and the OB van in Parliament with the Minister of Finance talking about things that, you know, the country's finances. So mainstreaming for me is kind of the most important thing when it comes to um, getting an, uh, the nation to understand what it is that we're talking about. That's very true, and I also think it also speaks to the heightened sense of awareness that we see in South Africa, because you do mention SARS um, well into the thick of things with the tax season, but there's also a sense of frustration from the South African uh, environment, um, and that comes from their understanding that, yes, I pay my taxes, but my taxes are not being allocated accordingly. Hence the frustration that we see with the SARSA cards right now, um, where if you've been listening to a variety of radio stations, call after call after call um, about people not being able to access their money. So that certainly speaks to the fact that from a money point of view or economic point of view, there is a very clear understanding about the connection um, that takes place from a top level and how it impacts us at a grassroots uh, level. So I think that's that there is this awareness and heightened sense of, of a concern about how our money is used. Okay. My last two questions and, and maybe a comment uh, for you guys to, to speak about. Um, how far are we going as far as making entrepreneurship and small business accessible um, just in, in, in that environment, let alone communicating about it because um, a lot of people complain about the red tape or the systems that don't work that make it difficult for them to, to, to get into business. And, and if when Siki, you were talking about the new dawn and taking opportunity and making financial sense of it, um, it just reminded me of that. But also, uh, we can't talk about the story of money without, without some kind of comment from you guys around the Bitcoins and that, that whole night. <laughs> you guys. You know, I think, sorry. I think um, what's happened with things like Bitcoin, and I'm not making a, please understand me, I'm not making a, an equal comparison, 
between Bitcoin and, and Triple M, for example, they are two completely separate uh, things. But I think what it does is it's highlighted how little we understand how money works, right? There's a conflation of digital currencies like Bitcoin um, and the scams that we've seen uh, in the past. A big part of it for me kind of then goes back to financial literacy and financial education. Um, I've said long ago, I wish somebody had taught me in school um, how to budget, how to open a bank account, what interest is. Teach me that, for goodness sake, and not maths literacy, because that's going to be a lot more useful to me later on to understand when something is a pyramid scheme and when something is an actual investment and understand the difference uh, between those two things. Very quickly on um, entrepreneurship and small businesses. My biggest issue with small business is, and entrepreneurship in this country is that we don't actually have a definition of what makes a small business. So the guy selling maize meal um, at the taxi rank is being treated exactly the same way as the guy running a, a fintech company out of Cape Town employing 10 people. That's problematic. So we do a catch-all instead of actually describing exactly what we are talking about, and that's where we need to begin. Uh, following up on the uh, entrepreneurship story, what we do also see is naturally the rise of a variety of incubators and the likes, but again, maybe that lack of focus on particular sectors, on particular industries is also where the, the concerns do come in. Um, what I've also noticed from the audience that I serve on KFM is that there is this vibrancy around entrepreneurship and wanting to build businesses, but a lot of our listeners are also starting from a grassroots point of level. And again, where the entrepreneurship comes from, the sense of entrepreneurship is not necessarily because I've just thought of this fantastic idea and I want to change it and implement it. They actually just need to augment their income. It's survivalist. It's survivalist, exactly. They're looking at additional ways to beef up their revenue streams. So their primary objective is to make a profit. And there's nothing wrong with that. We live in a capitalist society and that's the, what needs to be done. But it's not necessarily um, executed in the right manner to make sure that there's also a full and bigger picture effect with regard to whether it's employment or um, serving a bigger market and looking at international markets beyond just Johannesburg, Gauteng and South Africa only. Um, to pick up on the theme as well with regard to Bitcoin, funny you mentioned that it's tax season. I think very few people in the audience know that July is National Savings Month. And why? Because saving is boring. Right? That's usually the, the feeling that people get. But if you tell someone you can make a 10% return joining a WhatsApp group and you'll get your money at the end of the week, right? There's a lot more excitement about that. And I think that obviously speaks to what people want. Yes, we understand there's long-term investing, there's long-term saving, but I want money and I want money now. And that's the pressure that we face in South Africa um, with regard to financial understanding. And hence, individuals who want money now find themselves at risk of being exploited by the triple M's, by even some odd investment schemes that name themselves Bitcoin just to lure you in um, and sacrificing some of your money. So it's a challenge, but it's, that's exactly why we have the jobs that we have to, to educate people and make them aware that sometimes just stick it out for the long term. Thank you very, very much to the both of you. Um, that concludes our discussion. Um, would like to have a Q&A very briefly. So anyone who has a question or a comment around what we've been talking about, please. Thanks. 
All right. Um, hi, everybody. Um, my name is Manoba. And um, thank you, ladies. This was awesome. And I wanted to know, obviously, um, you guys cover a variety of topics that have to do with finance and budgeting, etc. So if there are maybe um, areas of interest that one would like you to, to discuss or, or look into, um, how do we do that? Do we tweet you? Do we send an email to your producers? How does that happen? You mean going on air? Go, going on air, yeah. Like, for okay. example... Um, why the prices of cars in South Africa are the highest in the world or feel like they're the highest in the world and, and there's no alternative in terms of a transport system and who's responsible for that. Uh, you can imagine, um, being business journalists, how many emails we get every single day from yeah. the PR. I got 736 unread just from last week. Don't tell them I said that. Um, but, I mean, obviously just getting in touch with my producers is usually the, the easiest. They keep better track of communication than I do. So moneyline at enca.com is your best bet. And I do read that one, I promise, every night. <laughs> I would agree, same process to be followed um, through KFM, uh, through producers. Uh, the, uh, but to keep it simple, send it to kukuleto at kfm.co.za because if I start giving you spellings of other names, it might get confusing for the moment. Um, but also to understand that there is a process editorially that um, every media company does naturally follow when it comes to selecting stories and making sure that fundamentally it needs to serve the purpose of the audience that we serve. But yeah. also, I mean, I, I literally there was a day, you remember earlier this year how this year started, with um, the resignation and non-resignation of a president and all of that. I had guests sitting in the studio um, ready to go on air and we were told I need to tell them to go home because now we're going to do rolling coverage of this. So sometimes we will agree and say, yes, we're going to do the thing. You're already standing there, you're mic'd and we say, sorry, the president's just been fired. So can't talk to you anymore. So that process happens. Hi, um, sorry I'm late. Just curious, I, I'm involved in financial education through the ALS station. So we do SOPIs. So in other words, we do the education aspect of it and the emotional functional benefits of whichever bank. So in other words, it's financial education through storytelling. Um, and I know that ENCA and Kaya probably don't do that because it's more a mother tongue thing. But can you talk to that for a moment? Do you get that kind of request? Would you, would you consider something like that as part of your packaging? Or is it always live, whatever's happening at the moment? Oh, sure. I don't think we. I don't think we. I don't think ENCA would. I, mean, I can't. I can't speak for them. Um, I'm a freelancer there. <laughs> I pop in, do the thing, and I go home. Um, but with their target audience, um, I suspect that that's not necessarily something that they would do. But with their sister company ETV, I, they probably would. And let me just say that the work that you guys do in that is phenomenal. Because to be able to tell the money story through very relatable and things that people, if you already have the eyeballs watching um, the soapies, sorry, earballs, eyeballs, <laughs> earballs, um, already listening, so catch them that way. I think in SAFM with their storytelling, the national um, PBS stations, um, that's, the, the, that's where they would, that's where they catch all. I think you're going to struggle with the commercial stations. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I think it's fantastic. 
uh, from my personal perspective, I think there's a money story to share across um, any kind of, uh, income bracket. Um, so, of course, the efforts that you make, of course, are, are fantastic. But I think even with the Kai FM audience, which um, are more aspirational and really have tended to move away, they probably grew up in the township but are more exposed and um, have a clearer understanding of the world of finance and business and how it works. But there's even a financial story there because sometimes people forget that you might be in your 20s, young, living and happening, but if you don't get some kind of medical cover or life cover, um, there are other people who might be financially dependent on you and that leads to financial consequences. And even with people who are slightly more established and more uh, uh, esteemed in their careers, you know, there's a story that I heard once about a top CEO coming under financial pressure because not meeting targets, the board is on his back, shareholders are complaining. What does he do? He resorts to you know, other alternatives um, to manage his stress, whether that's drugs or whatever, and um, using and mismanaging his money inappropriately. As such, something bad happens. The kids who got live comfortable living a fantastic life no longer have that option anymore. So financial stories can work across the board, um, just speaking to the audience and what their experience and level of knowledge is about money. Um, hi. I just wanted to uh, comment just about, you know, um, inspiring black economists because I feel like in this country we are still lacking. As a reporter, when I'm always trying to um, trying to break down the budget speech or, you know, you're a levy or fuel levy, I'm always getting, which is not a bad thing, I'm always getting, um, you know, white or necessarily colored Indian economists, but I don't have black economists that I can go to, especially women. This has been my lifelong mission. You do not understand. I have made enemies in the big banks and in the insurance companies because I will. I am very deliberate, um, and I think we have to be quite deliberate about it. Um, if we are going, and, and it goes back to what I was saying about being reflected back um, and and how representation matters. So I've spent my entire career being that annoying little girl that calls people and says, no, I will have sipo kumede, thank you very much. If you can't give me sipo kazi, then give me sipo. You know, it's that. And unless we are that deliberate, it's not going to happen. Um, a lot of the, the, the and, and, and we also have to tell our own black economists and our black brokers and all of them that they have to say yes. I'm, I'm that annoying person that calls and they say, no, I'm not ready. I'm like, well, hi, I wasn't ready when they put me in front of a camera. Um, in 2001. So it's that. We have to be annoying. And the only way, that's the only way we're going to, to grow the, 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 the pile. But if you need any names, I'm your girl. Thank you, everyone. We've run like a minute or two over time. Thank you so, so much. Uh, you can chat to Siki and Google afterwards. A round of applause. Thank you.